0: Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap.
1: Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 97 how to interact with stressed out students. It's frustrating when a student resists doing work, gets disruptive in a classroom, or doesn't handle change very well. Most of us probably assume the student is doing these things deliberately, and we try to address it using the usual behavioral standards. Consequences for bad behavior, rewards for good, the old carrot and stick measures. But for many students, these measures not only don't work, They make the problem worse. A recent article on kqed.org, which we'll link to in the show notes, inspired this episode, where we talk about why students do this and the gap in teacher training that makes it harder to handle.
0: An NIH study found that over 25% of kids between 13 to 18 have a diagnosis of anxiety disorder. Other research on the K-12 population shows that between 8 and 15 percent have a learning disability and that 9 percent have ADHD while over 11 percent have depression. Now these diagnoses, even though they're often given in childhood, don't magically disappear when a person turns 18 or goes to college. People don't grow out of these problems, they're lifelong. So it's reasonable to extrapolate that similar proportions of our students at college also are facing these problems. Now, according to the KQED article, most teacher training programs for K-12 teaching spend almost no time on mental health or on handling student behavior. The average is between 0 and 1 class on each of those topics. College teachers don't even get that, as our terminal degrees are supposed to be our credential. But many students are dealing with mental health issues, and especially right now with COVID, stressors that cause them to act in ways which can disrupt our classrooms and our teaching. So, as teachers, We're going into this situation with a lack of tools and a lack of understanding, and that's not good.
1: Let's get some tools into our toolboxes so we can help these students. First, we should talk about what a student without these problems can do so we have a baseline to work from. If a student is not facing mental health issues or undue stressors, they have the following abilities, which we tend to take for granted. Self-regulation, executive function, flexible thinking, and perspective taking.
0: Self-regulation is when a person's able to control their behavior even though they may be under some stress, so making sure they don't hit people or shout or start crying suddenly and so forth. Executive function is the ability to think ahead and plan. A person with good executive function can look at a task, take it apart into steps, and plan how they're going to follow those steps and then follow through with that.
1: Flexible thinking means being able to see shades of gray and not just black and white or right and wrong. Finally, perspective taking means being able to see other people's points of view about a situation or an event. We tend to assume these things are easy to do and that if someone is not doing them, they must be not doing them on purpose. When a student is not functioning well due to mental illness or stressors like Adam mentioned, we often judge them as being lazy obstinate, oppositional, apathetic, or defiant. But mental illness and stressors create interference and make it less likely a person can do these important social-emotional tasks.
0: Now the KQED article focuses on how stress and anxiety interfere with a student's ability to focus, function, and follow through. Here are some of the things we as educators need to know about anxiety. It's important to know first that anxiety is not a constant thing. Students who have anxiety are not anxious all the time. When they're calm, anxiety isn't nearly as much of a problem, but anything that wrecks their calm state of mind like a test or having to speak in front of the class, that can cause an anxiety attack. And this can make anxiety more difficult to identify as the source of the problem behavior, since we see the students sometimes being able to do the things they're asked to do, but at other times they fail at something we've seen them do well before. It's frustrating because We can't see the anxiety happening under the surface. We only see inconsistent performance without an obvious explanation.
1: Think of an anxiety attack like an off switch. When a person's brain has an anxiety attack, nothing else works. They lose control of their abilities to plan, think ahead, or control their performance, and it's not something they have control over. Another issue is general bad behavior, especially the kind which disrupts the class. In the K-12 system, this may be a student who starts making noise or having a temper tantrum, but in college, it may look a lot more like a student getting aggressive in a group discussion or shouting at the instructor over a contentious point in the lecture. It's still disruption and it's still an issue that needs to be addressed. One of the best ways to help students with anxiety is to help them avoid the things that trigger anxiety attacks. Known and common triggers include unstructured class time, including having to wait, social demands like talk to your classmate, writing tasks without preparation, or any change that isn't expected, announced, or prepared for. In the same way, helping students who are acting out in class, shouting, being aggressive, involves addressing the triggering situations that make it less possible to self regulate, use executive function, think flexibly, and take others' perspectives. The known triggers here are social interactions that don't have a facilitator, having to interact with an authority, which often makes a student feel judged, having to wait, having to deal with demands or directions when they don't feel prepared, having to write without guidance or preparation, and being told no
0: and once a student is triggered it's not reasonable to expect them to come back from it and get themselves together their brain has literally been hijacked by the trigger so ideally according to the research the goal is to reduce or eliminate the triggers when possible and reduce their impact when not possible there are two problem effects caused by these triggers the student either becomes disruptive or the student shuts down we'll cover ways to handle the issues where a student becomes disruptive first create Positive predictability. When a student becomes disruptive at a low level, don't ignore it. Make a note that student's having some trouble and don't put additional pressure on them during that class meeting to perform. Reach out to them before class at your next meeting and say, I'm looking forward to seeing what you think of today's lecture. I'm gonna check in with you in the first few minutes of class about that. This reduces the waiting without structure issue that is such a common trigger for both anxious students and stressed students. And when you do check in, tell them you're going to check in again in about 10 minutes this sets up a predictable pattern that something positive is going to happen. Praise
1: good behavior, but do it privately. Many anxious students are terrified of having the spotlight put on them in class. If you see a student who normally struggles with self-regulation keeping it together in a stressful moment, drop them an email. Jane, I noticed when you and Kevin were discussing the research sources, you held your own and didn't back down. Good job there. Also, Make sure the praise is based in facts. You did this thing well, not you're a nice person. It's easy to ignore the second kind when you're anxious or stressed. You need that anchor.
0: And it also occurs to me that you did this thing well, that's a growth-based mindset kind of thing. And you're a nice person is really, really fixed mindset, and we want to avoid that, right? Another thing they suggest in the KQED article is teach all your students how to wait, Waiting is difficult, especially for anxious students. If your students are waiting for you to finish something, let them know how much time it should be. I'm going to need about five minutes. And also, let them do something with that waiting time. Can you take this time to write down a question you have that we haven't answered yet? Or can you take a few minutes? Just go ahead and take a few minutes and stretch and check your text messages.
1: Some anxious students need to be left alone or leave class for a few minutes to compose themselves, while others need distraction. If being left alone seems to make a behavior worse, Try giving the student a distraction instead so their brain is occupied. Otherwise, they can end up in a negative cycle of self-talk and self-abuse they can't stop.
0: Yeah, when I read this bit in the KQED article, I was kind of shocked they had a student, uh, and granted, we're talking about K-12, so they had a 7th grader who was recovering from an eating disorder. And when she got stressed out, she would scrape the insides of her arms along the bottom of her desk Self-harm, basically. So what they were trying to do was they would tell her to go get a drink of water or you know go hit the bathroom. Well, that didn't help because it didn't distract her from the negative thoughts she was having. What they needed to do was give her something to do that would distract her like, okay, sit down with the kid who's in the lower reading level than you and read to them. Because you can't read a book and think about anything else at the same time. You're going to have to focus on reading the book, right? So they had to give her a distraction. Which we often don't think about. We're like, you know, go outside, calm down, and then come back. But if their thoughts are self harmful or suicidal, that actually makes it worse. So, another thing to help students with is help them handle transitions. Like if you've given them an assignment, let's say that it's a worksheet and there's 20 questions on it. And a lot of teachers will do a countdown. Like, they'll say, okay, you've got five minutes left, two minutes left. Well, that's actually going to add stress for a student who is a perfectionist, which is a common thing with anxiety. And they're like, I've only done 16 of these. Ah, you know, they don't have the ability at that point under that stress to use executive function to say, okay, I finished most of it. It's okay if I don't finish these last three. And so giving them a stopping point or a, um, you know, saying things like, Instead of counting down, saying, "Okay, we're going to move on to another activity in about three minutes. So if you're not done yet, that's okay. Here's a couple of good stopping points. And remember, it's okay if you can't finish this during class. If you're close to question 16, stop there. If you're close to question 19, stop there. So that they aren't trying to make that decision. You are telling them what decision to make just so that they don't have to struggle with handling the transition from we're doing this worksheet to we're doing something else now. Teach students
1: self-regulation routines and have them practice the routines so when they do lose control, they can step outside and do their routine without having to think about it too much. Adam teaches a technique called block breathing, which many students have said really helps them calm down and focus. See our episodes 57 and 58 for more on that. If a student has an anxiety attack, help them practice something like block breathing so they can relax and cancel their brain's red alert. If they tend to get combative, help them rehearse saying something like, I don't have time for this, or I'm better than this, and walking away. Having a practiced go-to routine helps when their ability to make decisions has been hijacked.
0: Now, when the problem isn't a disruptive student, but a student who's just shut down, like they're not doing the work and they're not responding, there are different methods to help those students through the triggers, too. So working memory is going to be one of the big issues here. Anxious students will often sit there and their brain is repeating echoes of previous experiences, like an annoyed teacher lecturing at them for not doing the work, you know, getting on their case about it, or feeling stupid because they know they should be doing the thing or they know they can do the thing, but they can't seem to make themselves do the thing. And this really disrupts the working memory, which is the scratch pad of the brain. It's where we do all of our planning and thinking before we actually do our things. And just like an anxiety trigger, disruption to the working memory it hijacks all those abilities that are so important for maintaining what we think of as good behavior, like executive function, like self-regulation.
1: Letting students preview the work for the day can help. If you're in a math class or lab-based class, where doing a new problem type or a new lab can create a shutdown situation. Let students look at the problems the day before so they are prepared for what they need to do on the day you meet. Reducing surprise is always a good idea. Never, ever give students pop quizzes or timed quizzes. These tell you nothing about whether a student has studied, very little about how a student handles stress. Just avoid surprise assessments altogether.
0: Another thing is give students study strategies. Don't expect them to just develop them on their own. Teach them about them. If they see a hard question on a test, let them skip it and go to an easier one, and then they can come back to the hard one later. If it's an online exam, give them the ability to backtrack so they can skip those harder questions and do the easier ones first. Teach them this is how you double-check your work before you turn it in. Give them your rubrics so that they know what they need to do and they know what standards you're setting for an assignment. Don't make the rubric a mystery. Show it to them so that they can write to it or work to it. Teach them how to take a big assignment and break it down into small pieces, how to develop a strategy for doing each piece, and how to work on just one piece at a time so they don't feel overwhelmed. If they have trouble getting started, give them the 10-minute rule. Work on this for 10 minutes and see if it gets easier, because it usually does.
1: Also, give them self-awareness strategies. Help them recognize when their body is getting out of control. Take a one-minute break, 10 or 15 minutes into class, and do a body check. Ask them, How's your head feeling? How about your shoulders? Your stomach? Your breathing? What's going on with your body? Then, name things that may indicate anxiety and a need to take a moment to calm down. Rapid breathing, sweating, stomach clenching, headache, tenseness in the shoulders, tenseness in the belly. Have students block breathe to help them calm down.
0: And speaking of a body check, build structured breaks into your classes. We can pretend students can just ignore their phones for an hour and a half, or we can be realistic and give a two-minute text and stretch break at the 40-minute mark. Build in a body check break, as we just discussed. Build in different moments to say, everybody, stretch break. Everybody, stand up and turn around and roll your shoulders and sit back down. Make sure that it's not just sitting and listening for 45 minutes to an hour of you talking. Finally, there are often times when a student's inability to self-regulate or their disrupted executive function make interaction more difficult. So here are some ways to cope when that comes up.
1: If you've got a student who you're just not on good terms with, maybe you rub each other the wrong way or had a difficult experience early in the term, try being randomly kind to them every now and then, regardless of their behavior. Compliment them on their shirt or how put together they are or how kind they were to a classmate who was struggling. Non-contingent reinforcement like this helps the student see that you're not only liking them for their good work, but as a person.
0: If you have a difficult student who's also a competent student when they're not having difficulty with self-regulation, put them in a leadership position. Have them lead a discussion group, or have them be the chat monitor in your online Zoom class and say, hey, Dr. Bloom, you know we've got a question from the chat. Give them something to do. Avoid
1: yes or no questions and encourage students to word their questions in ways where the answer can't be yes or no. For example, if a student asks, can I work with my friends today? Ask them to rephrase it. You can ask, when can I work with my friends? Then the answer is no longer no, which is a trigger, but on Tuesday, today we need to work with the groups we had yesterday. Although they may not like that answer, it's not the triggering
0: no. Allow your students' time to switch gears, too. If a student is tapping their pencil on the desk and it's bothering others, put a note on their desk that says, please stop tapping your pencil, and then avoid eye contact with them so they make the shift without feeling like they're being watched or judged. If they're being disruptive in Zoom, mute them and send them a private chat, please keep yourself on mute unless I ask you to unmute, and make a point of talking to other students now so they don't feel like you're watching them.
1: Finally, reward their use of their strategies you've given them, not how well they're behaving. Part of the goal here is teaching a student to learn skills so they can use them, not just in your classroom, but in other classrooms too. If you see a student who's prone to starting fights, get up, say, I'm better than this, and walk out of the room, send them an email praising them for using that strategy to de-escalate their brain. If you see a student who's resisted doing in-class writing using the strategies you've taught them for breaking it down and getting started, email them with praise as well rewarding the use of strategies sets them up for further success.
0: Now, when it comes to Dinor's and my experiences with it, I've worked hard for years to help students who have anxiety and other stressors handle those stressors because they are such a roadblock to learning. I've taught them block breathing. I've taught them why their anxiety and stress hijacks their brain. Again, see our episodes 57 and 58 for more on that. And I've taught them different ways to unhijack their brain so they can move forward. A lot of them say, oh, I'm shy. I'm scared of speaking up in class. I'm scared of people looking at me. I'm scared of having the wrong answer. And when I get that in my success handouts, because it's one of those, um, one of those things I have them reflect on, you know, how active are you in, in the classroom? And then when I get answers like this that say, I'm afraid of people thinking I'm stupid, or I'm afraid of making a mistake, or I'm scared of the professor, or I, I sit in the middle of the classroom or the back of the classroom so that it's less likely I'll get called on. I send them a prepared bit of writing that I say, you know, it sounds like you might be shy. I've had a lot of shy students. Here are three ways to handle being shy so you can still get your participation points. And I also, one of the things I tell them is that feeling that everybody remembers I made a mistake, nobody does. You're the only one who does, I promise you. And I send them to an article on Medium, I think, which we'll put in the show notes as well, that says – The spotlight effect, you know, you think everybody will remember your mistakes forever, but really even the teacher won't within about a week and a half. So don't worry about that. And a lot of students have told me that's really helped them because some of them have been really paralyzed by their anxiety and they don't want to admit that they've got a problem.
1: Like Adam, I've also worked hard to help students who have anxiety and I try and help my students sound out or verbalize or write down what stresses them because by sounding it out or by writing it down, we can then talk about different strategies to figure out what the sources of the anxiety are. Is it there's a lot going on at once? Is it you feel underprepared for an exam? And if it's underprepared, how can we get you better prepared? Sometimes I'll have to figure out resources. Uh, I'll point my students towards campus counseling or I'll look for resources online and then I'll email students who need them. the idea is to make whatever it is that's causing the anxiety, be dealt with on its own terms doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy task, but it means that it's something possible. And sometimes having an outside voice, whether it's my voice or someone else's, well, that outside voice can help us understand what's scaring us and what we have to do. And that can help us deal with anxiety a lot more effectively than just letting it stew with ourselves. I've for years made a point of not doing pop quizzes because I view them as stress and anxiety inducing. And I remember TAing for someone who insisted on using them. So my work around was to email my students or use our learning management system and give them a heads up. Make sure you know that there could be a quiz on A, B, and C today. So if my section met after that lecture that section would get an email saying, be prepared to talk about the following things in section as a way to try and clue them in so that they might be a little bit less stressed and that they'd be more prepared for it.
0: Yeah. I think pop quizzes were invented by the inquisition myself. I mean, I really, there is no good reason to do a pop quiz folks. They should be not, they shouldn't only not be in your toolbox. You should throw them in the sewer because all they do is stress people out. They make it impossible to remember. And, and, In a time period where we know that 25% of our students have some kind of mental health problem or learning disability, it's inequitable to use those damn things.
1: One of the things that I will do after talking with students is I'll email them or I'll have them email me just as a check-in. Are you doing a little bit better? How are things? I don't want them to feel like, hey, they had one talk with me and that's enough. I want them to know that. They are people, I know that it takes more than one conversation to deal with anxiety, but we can have these conversations. This episode has been mainly aimed at teachers, but there are many strategies outlined in this episode that students who have anxiety, or who know they have trouble keeping it together in class, can also use directly. Students, if you know you struggle with getting started, try the 10 minute rule. If you know you tend to get angry suddenly, practice the I don't have time for this routine and check in with your teacher about the need to walk out and calm down. Use these strategies on your own so you can learn how to handle these situations when you're out of school, because they will happen and being prepared can help.
0: So that's what we have for you in Episode 97. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. And also, we'd appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts.
1: Be sure to join us next week for Episode 98, when we'll talk about the value of a gap year.
0: You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash easier. We look forward to seeing you next week.